Welcome to the Weaver OnChain podcast series. I'm your host, Tim Savage, and I lead Weaver's blockchain and digital assets practice. In this series, we dive into various topics in the blockchain industry, and each show features guest speakers who are deeply involved in the space. On our show today, we have Varesh Ori, a highly experienced investment fund manager focused in the crypto asset space. Varesh is an investment fund manager who runs his own private equity fund called Catanum Capital. His career began in Forex trading before moving into positions with Big Four and boutique firms where he was a consultant on mergers and acquisitions and corporate strategy. Transitioning into private equity, he worked at Civitas Capital, focusing on real estate and hospitality, where he was responsible for international investor relations, fundraising, and new market development. He helped expand the Civitas brand and footprint across 40 plus countries and assisted in over $400 million in transactions from family offices and institutional channels. Varesh is also a serial entrepreneur, helping early stage companies focus on growth strategy, scaling and fundraising. He's personally invested in over 20 companies at various stages, ranging from pre-seed to series B across a multitude of industries, and he sits on the advisory board of several companies. Varesh, awesome to have you on the show today. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. So as always, we start with just hearing about your background and, and how did you become interested in crypto? Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's funny, um, you know, in today's world in the crypto ecosystem, you hear people say that, you know, oh, I was an early adopter. I got into it. And, you know, every single time I asked someone, I was like, well, when did you, when did you first buy it? You know, when was the first time you got into it? And they were like 2017, 2018. And the fact that people call that, you know, an early adoption, it's laughable, right? Um, you know, I think the people who got in way early on was anywhere between 2011 and 2013. Uh, so in 2012, actually, is when I actually got into crypto. Um I was just finishing up university. I was working at State Street out in Boston. And, you know, on the trading floors, a bunch of traders. And, you know, we saw Bitcoin price hit the trading floor. We were all like, hey, what's this? And I'm actually still in touch with one of my bosses. And I remember sitting next to him. I was like, hey, man, we got to buy this. You know, just, let's do it. It was up 150% in one week. Um, he didn't do it. And we saw it at $20. It was crazy. I ended up buying it, you know, put decent amount into it around like 150, 160 bucks a coin. And, you know, ever since then, it was kind of inevitable that it was in my life. I was trying to integrate myself with more and more people in the industry over the course of the years of my professional career. Um, but everywhere I went, you know, I didn't really know who to go to for crypto. There was like a small niche community and that was it, you know. It wasn't that big. It didn't have that much, um, you know, buzz around it as it does now. But that was kind of the first time I bought it. And then over the years, um, when I got into consulting, blockchain became more apparent. Uh, you know, all the firms wanted to go the decentralized way. Everybody was interested from a payments perspective. So I was always around it. Um, you know, when I was at Capco, we had a blockchain practice. You know, at PwC Strategy N, we had a blockchain practice. Everybody was slowly starting to get their feet wet in it. Um, but it was, it was crazy. What's kind of, you know, the way people talk about it now, I remember back in 2014, I helped out on a, uh, 
a strategy team that was kind of all consultative work on the side. And it was with Ripple. Um, and I've been a big fan of the payment space in crypto. But, you know, we were trying to integrate XRP's platform onto a bank. And I was on the background team of due diligence. And that was like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, right? It was insane. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to do anything full time until recently. So I moved through consulting for a while. And I know I'm kind of jumping steps, but went to consulting for a bit and then, you know, dove into private equity where I just wanted the fundraise. Um, you know, a fund gave me an opportunity. I ran with it, but I was constantly trading crypto on the side. Um, me and my current co-founder, Greg, we always had a strategy that worked really well. So when COVID hit, um, it was like the perfect time. Let's just run away from everything we're currently doing, focus on, you know, the next 10 years of our life. And that's how we started Catanum Capital. That's awesome. And you definitely did get in super early. I mean, from a scale of, you know, if you zoom out, we're only 13, 14 years old in this space. So it is so nascent, so new. But yeah, I mean, getting in three years, really right after Bitcoin was launched on on a larger scale. Yeah, that is way early in the door. I did have the opportunity myself to get in it in 2012. I remember Bitcoin was trading at $15. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be a scam or, or some bad. And I kick myself every day. I mean, technically, <laughs> don't forget about Mt. Gox, man. That happened. Yeah. And yeah. People, people forget that. Like that, I lost a lot of money in that. A lot of people lost a lot of money in that. It was one of those weird things where, I mean, if that happened today, it would be more normal. But back then it was like, oh, holy shit, like I can't believe this just happened. Um, so it was it was weird. You know, it's it's been a a long 14 years, but we've we've come a long way. I mean, the fact that we're talking about this on a podcast is something else. <laughs> and watching it go from zero to one to really upwards of three trillion dollar capitalized market, that's pretty wild. Which is still small. Very small and growing exponentially. Um, but from an investment fund perspective, so why are these funds, why, why are they interested in crypto? Yeah, so I think you have to break it up into two sectors, right? There's the venture capital aspect where investors are, you know, institutional family offices, investors, they're obsessed with funding the next you know, Facebook or Google, right? They all want to find the next billion dollar unicorn. Um, the problem is, is that there are 18,000 projects in protocol right now or some crazy number like that. Um, how do you know it's going to hit, right? It's the same story in the venture capital world. It's like throw $100 million at 50 projects, hoping that two make up for it all. Um, I think people are really interested in crypto because it's, you know, Web3 and it's it's the future, right? Everything that we've worked towards in the last decade has set us up for where we are today, right? We talk about the dot-com bubble. Every The whole internet was made for Web3. Like it was just the next part in evolution. So I think that's why everybody's interested in it. The problem is no one really knows who to trust. And <laughs> I still say that confidently today. Um, you know, we're a pretty diversified fund um you know we have a, we have a trading arm we have a, a direct investment arm and we have a fund to fund arm and they all kind of coincide and fit different investor types um 
On the trading side, I think the reason why people are very interested from a hedge fund perspective, right? Um, because you can make a lot more money in that market than you can on traditional equities, right? Traditional equities is, you know, you can either go the Warren Buffett route and just invest in the S&P and all those companies for the next 10 years and, you know, you'll make decent money. But, you know, making 20% a year is just simply not enough anymore for most investors. The current retail market, I mean, you know, if you tell someone they made 50% in one year, like some people say that's not enough, right? And then if you if you tell that to like an old school family office, they'll think you're a genius. So it's it's pros and cons. I mean, it's very different. But I think from an investor standpoint, because I've also invested into other companies um, and other funds, it's new innovation, new creativity, new ideas. You know, the smartest people in the world are diving into this space and you want to be a part of them. You want to be aligned with them and you want to make sure that, you know, of course, in the next five to 10 years, you want to be a part for the ride. And you want to say to yourself, like, I was part of this, right? I did that and I did this and I was part of it. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think everybody's here for a little bit of a gamble. You know, I like to say that we know what we're doing and we're experts in our field, but I don't think anybody in crypto is an expert. Well, you've had a very successful, uh, high-performing fund so far. What do you think separates the the strong performance from the weaker performing funds? Absolutely. So I think one thing that we've noticed, and when I say we, I mean my co-founder and I, Greg, um, the one thing that him and I did before we even started this fund is we actually parked capital into a couple other different funds. And we've also interviewed and created like phantom identities and talking to a bunch of fund managers because what we wanted to do is have an unbiased sales pitch right we wanted to see what people were actually telling investors to get them in the door the biggest thing that we saw is most funds and again this is just from my opinion to what i've seen a lot of funds try to hit a hell mary right what i mean by that is they try to score something like buying ethereum under a hundred dollars waiting three years and getting to cash out at 3000 right? That's an amazing story, but there's no real skill involved with that, right? An investor can do that on their own. Chances are they just don't know how. So I think one thing that separates us from a lot of other funds is the way we look at the market, right? Our mentality is focusing on doubling a penny every day rather than trying to hit one grand slam and hit it out of the park. So we focus on the small wins and they compound, right? They compound quickly. And, you know, at the end of the day, when we try to balance it out, we try to hit like a target percentage every day. Um, and we try to average it out for a month. So hypothetically, let's say we want to make, you know, an average of 1% every day. Over the course of a month, there might be days where down 5%, up 30%, down 2%, up 10%. But when we average it out, we try to hit a certain metric every day. And that's how we look at it. And from the direct investment side and the venture capital, the one thing that we look at, um, we solely look at the founders, their story, why they're even in this space and why it's so important to them. And usually it all comes down to something that's affected them in their personal lives that they're trying to solve for. And that's what means a lot to us. Yeah, I think from my perspective, since I'm not a, you know investment fund, I, I get to watch what these funds are doing. What I've noticed 
the ones that do super well, one, they do have a great trading strategy and they're very disciplined and focused in how they execute on that strategy and very pragmatic. But two, to the point that you made, they need to develop and invest in relationships. That's incredibly important. And three, I think knowing and really understanding the technology is so important because if you don't understand the tech, how do you know if you've invested in, in something that's actually good or a realistic solution? Um, and that I think is where sometimes smaller or mid-sized funds have an advantage from these very large bureaucratic uh, investment grade vehicles where um, you know the, there's more politics involved or maybe the the people at the top don't quite understand the, the tech that they're investing in how, yeah how do you I, see I agree I agree with that and I think like I said it's it's the old school venture capital model it's like throw a hundred million at a bunch of different projects and let's see what sticks right? You know, at, at some point, if you're a principal or an investor at a fund, your job is to get deals. So if you're not getting, if you're only getting 20 deals, you're probably going to invest in all of them, right? How do you, how do you know what's good or not? The one thing that we've ran into in this space is there's a lot of bullshit, my, my language, but there's a lot of scam artists. There's a lot of it and it's very hard to avoid it. Take an example, what just happened with Luna and, you know, UST. No one would have thought ever. I mean, I never thought a company that was a top 10 digital asset. I mean, the market cap was close to what, 100 billion or something. And it was wiped out to zero in a matter of 48 hours. Yeah, yeah, not even. I never thought that would happen. But, you know, the one thing I'll say is the market didn't react as poorly as I thought it was going to. Yeah, we had like a nice 15 to 20% downside, but. I swear people thought this was going to take us back to the stone age and it didn't, you know, you look at the resistance levels on Ethereum, it's very strong between 1900 and 2000 and it didn't really dip, pivot from that. You know, Bitcoin, the resistance levels at 29,000, a lot of bids flying in at that level. I mean, we're holding pretty steady and, you know, one, I'm proud of the community Two, we were able to kind of see that pivot and everybody pivoted their strategy. Um, and now, you know, the U.S. government's been saying it for a while, all the banks, it's a race for the stablecoin race, right? And it looks like USCC is taking away. So you have to go with reputation, and that's how you get out ahead. And of, of course, you're going to go into some gambles and taking some risk. But, you know, if you're managing other people's money, you have to control that risk as much as possible. Yeah, I think it's a good story and reminder that you're not too big to fail. Um because which is what uh, we've yeah. been programmed to think by the fed and i mean I, I thought it was so cool to watch how all the funds did yeah i mean the market did uh capitulate some but to watch how the liquidity spread out and, and how it was reinvested was very fascinating um i'd be interested to see some of the, the charts over the next month about what's going to happen uh, i agree yeah, I I thought I thought Luna was onto something with pegging to Bitcoin, you know, pegging their stablecoin to Bitcoin and being backed by that. You know, pegging to Luna as their other currency, or you know, as the the backing asset was didn't quite make sense to me. Bitcoin being a monetary good did. I wish they had gotten there. 
obviously they didn't and they probably won't or in, in my opinion they won't so um i don't know I, I do hope there's still you know the door is open for that to happen because it would make sense uh, to start using bitcoin as you know the store of value that, that backs something else but we'll see i i agree with you and i, I don't I, I just think it was a little bit premature yeah. it's it's as simple as that you know we need these hiccups in order to figure out what works in the next couple of years. Um, you know, there's a couple of DeFi funds that we're looking to invest into a lot. Of, actually all three of them that we're talking to sold Luna at like 105 to 108, their entire positions. And then, you know, it makes me wonder, did everybody assume that this was kind of a bust? I don't know. I mean, Greg did, you know, my co-founder, he, he never believed in it. He never wanted to touch it. Um, you know, he doesn't get FOMO with missing out on something, but he was very, very, very vocal about not investing into Luna. <laughs> so, paid off. Well, I mean, I think it's a good transition into you know the topic of the need for policy. I've been saying it for a while now. It's like if we want this this industry to really grow and be a, a multi-trillion robust ecosystem you do need policy and not overbearing policy you do need regulation protective of investors but um, we can't just have it the wild wild west it's it's not going to be healthy for uh, a long-term growth model what what are your thoughts there i agree with you um you know when i was at paris blockchain week um couple of weeks ago or last month, you know, the biggest topic around regulation was why don't we talk about it more at these conferences? Right. And I think a lot of the, the FUD around crypto is everybody thinks, Oh, it's anonymous. It's, you know, it's controlled by the people for the people, all this weird stuff. It's actually not true. Right. Um, yes. It's decentralized. There's a blockchain. You can look at it. It's, you know, it's some semi pseudo anonymous, but not really. Right. You can trace everything. Um, you know, when we do audits and stuff, it's the exact same thing. You see everything that happens. Um, I think regulation is important. I think it needs to be controlled regulation. What we've seen in the past is, you know, our politicians and different parties they go a little bit crazy with regulation sometimes and they don't really know what's right or wrong um like we've seen in the sec versus ripple case i mean they have no idea what to classify a security or commodity i saw the thing from cftc today that they announced bitcoin and ethereum as commodities well they've been saying that for a while now but <laughs> yeah and it, but it's but it's one of those things where you know no one's gonna put it into a rule book yet because mm -hmm. they just genuinely don't know um, you know, Janet Allen, when she came on and did her speech, like I think last month or the month before, she straight up said, people think we're months away from figuring out regulation. Like, no, we're years away because they still don't know how it affects the economy. That's the problem. Yeah, we need it to be, I, I would like to see a standalone, like a digital asset commission that is led by practitioners in the space people who understand the tech, understand where it's going and how to properly create protective policy and regulation uh, so that it doesn't hinder growth and allows people to 
to make smart investments. And also, so things like Luna don't happen so that there are proper audits or, or whistleblowers are heard in case there's an issue. And, um, yeah, we, we need that infrastructure. It's, it's very vital and important. So the one biggest pain point, I know uh, you have to drop soon, but the one biggest pain point that U.S. fund managers see, um, a lot of foreign companies where most of the innovation in the space is being developed today, right? I, I would say a very big percentage of it. They don't want U.S. investors. They don't want to deal with U.S. investors. And the reason is because our government is just not, they don't know what, what way they stand on crypto. So these companies, they're willing to avoid U.S. investors because they're like, well, when the government figures their stuff out, we'll come into the U.S. But for right now, they don't care about it, right? And U.S. investors figure out a way to get into deals, you know? Um, but that's a big problem, right? And how do we draw innovation back to the U.S.? We've always typically been good about it. But in this scenario, it seems like we're shoving people out of the door and it hurts all of us. Um, you know, you and I have spoken separately about why some tools are not available here. They're available somewhere else. Yeah, so Things like derivatives and options, futures, things that aren't accessible in the U.S. but are in, let's say, Europe. Yeah, we... We're not there yet. Hopefully we do get there soon. Uh, but it is also, I mean, it's a gro global revolution. This technology is everywhere. That's the beauty of it. So that, I mean, it, it makes it competitive and, and drives innovation faster. That's why it has been so successful in these last 13 years. But yeah. I agree. I, I would love to see the U.S. to, to have a better step forward for us to, to have more successful. Uh, SBF is doing a pretty good job at it. I mean, Sam Bankman, he's he's really trying, um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, every time we move forward one or two steps, you know, someone like Gary Gensler comes in. He's like, oh, no, nope, this doesn't work. Get out of here. <laughs> so we'll see. But I'm optimistic, man. I think I think this is the next five years of our life. So, you know, Absolutely. we figure we figure it out as it comes. Yep. Yep. Well, thank you again for being on the show. We are at time, but obviously we'll have you on for, for more future episodes. Anything uh, that you'd like to, to leave us with? No, I mean, listen, um, thank you for having me on. I'm always happy to speak. would love to do this again. And for anybody who's listening, if you have any questions, you know, you want to get in touch, you want to learn more about what we do, feel free to reach out. Um, I want to spread as much knowledge as we possibly can. So I'm here to help. Sounds great. Well, thanks, Rich. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care, Tim. <laughs>